G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language references to violence, sexual abuse and murder and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. It was one of the most brutal child killings in Australia's history. Leanne Holland's badly beaten body was found dumped in bushland in the outer western suburbs of Brisbane in 1991. This was a vicious, brutal, sadistic murder of a 12-year-old girl. The de facto of the 13-year-old's older sister was charged and convicted. Queensland police say their review of the Leanne Holland case will be thorough. If we uncover any new evidence, we'll certainly explore that. Hi, my name's Graeme Stafford. I have not been involved in the production of this podcast, but have been invited to tell my side of the story. In 1991, I was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Leanne Holland, a murder I did not commit. This is not my story. This is the story of the murder of Leanne Holland and a search for the truth, a search that continues to this day. A 610 Media production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland? Chapter 2. Graham Stafford. A killer, accomplice or victim. You decide. In the last chapter, we gave you a briefing on the story of who killed Leanne Holland, a vicious, brutal, unsolved murder that took place in Goodna, Australia, almost 30 years ago. We raised the possibility of other suspects for the murder. In this chapter... We talk in depth with Graham Stafford, the only police suspect for the crime, whose conviction was quashed after he served 15 years imprisonment. Our interview with Graham Stafford went for nearly two hours. There were many questions we needed to ask. Some questions we asked Graham won't make a lot of sense, as this is only chapter two of the series and you don't have all the information as yet. This case is intricate and complicated by many twists and turns. We will do our best to present the information in a way that's easy to follow. With that said, here is a summary of the Crown case against Graham Stafford. Remember, the finer details will be covered in a later chapter, as it's impossible to give all this information in just one chapter. For Graham Stafford to be the killer, 
He had to have committed the killing between 8am and 4.30pm on Monday the 23rd of September, 91. Graham Stafford had a rostered day off work on that day, and Leanne was on school holidays. The case against him was this. Leanne wanted to dye her hair. The police alleged Graham helped Leanne dye or streak her hair in the bathroom. It was then, while they were alone, that he made sexual advances on her. It escalated somehow, and he beat her to death right there in the bathroom with a hammer he owned that later mysteriously disappeared. He then carried Leanne's lifeless body out of the house, down the front stairs, in full view of the hotel across the street, and placed her in the boot of his car. It was never disputed Graham was busy doing everyday chores that day. He worked on his car, he went to lunch, he went to the shops, visited a friend, fielded phone calls and washed his car. He heard his arm, he said, when he was working on his car and later attended the doctor. Two days later, on Wednesday the 25th of September, Graham got ready for work. But instead of driving straight to work, he went out to visit a friend called Arthur Power. There was no one home. Police claimed, in fact, he went to Red Bank Plains to dump Leanne's body. His car was sighted at the dump site that morning, and tyre impressions found at the scene matched identically with the two different tyres he had on his car. Despite his denials of involvement, he was arrested and convicted of murder. It was described as a strong forensic and circumstantial case, but later investigations showed many difficulties with the ground evidence. After his conviction was overturned, the QPS conducted a review of the original investigation. They concluded Graham Stafford was the killer and closed their file. However, they have refused to release the review and vigorously fought the many court applications by Graham Stafford's lawyers to attempt to obtain it. Six years later, it has still not been released. The report was, however, leaked to a commercial TV station who used it to produce a commercial program showing Graham Stafford was the killer. Graham was interviewed on the program. It is hoped this podcast will force the Queensland government to hold a coronial inquest into the death of Leanne Holland. My name is Graham Stafford. I was uh, in a relationship with Leanne Holland's older sister, Melissa Holland. We lived with her um, sister and father at 70A Alice Street, Goodner. Uh, Melissa and I both worked at B&D Roller Doors, which is how we met, and we'd been going out for approximately 11 months. What age were you in when, when you went to prison? 28. Tell me about your full criminal history. I don't have any criminal history. Nothing? Nothing at all. And did you have any run-ins with police before this? Uh, I guess only if you uh, include uh, speeding, occasional speeding too. Okay. So you've never been interviewed by police for any other offence apart from the Holland murder? No. Ever been under the care of a psychologist or a psychiatrist apart from prison? I know you had some meetings with those people there, but... No, 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 none whatsoever. Do you have history of sexual deviancy? No. So not long after the Leanne Holland murder happened and her body was found, a senior police officer said at a news conference, the offender is obviously not the full quid. Does that describe you at all? Not at all. And tell me about your work history. Have you ever held a full-time job? I think I've been unemployed for a total of probably 18 months um, back in the early early 80s, mm-hmm. and that was by pretty much by choice because uh, I was doing a bit of... Uh, travelling around. But other than that, I've held full-time jobs throughout. I started out uh, serving an apprenticeship and completed that. Um, 
I went on to um, work at a uh, another car yard, sort of working on cars for a little while. Decided it wasn't what I wanted to do. And not long after that, I probably started at B&D Roller Doors, which I worked for up until uh, my arrest. What was your job description I, there? Um, at the time, I was um, one of the computer press operators that uh, was in charge of the huge press that um, created the actual roller door itself. Um, but obviously, there would be other tasks as well. Do your immediate family support your claim of innocence? Yes, they do. Yeah, um, my father passed away a couple of years ago. I'm sorry to hear um, that. But, uh, yeah, mum, dad, yeah. my sister, mm-hmm. um, brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's direct family. Um, as far as uh, friends, yeah, also got a bit of support there as well. And did your family ever doubt you? I, I guess, you know, realistically, they probably um, have to ask themselves, like mm. uh, anybody in that situation, mm. Um, whether they uh, had things wrong, but mm. um, no, they've been totally supportive. Tell me about uh, Melissa Holland. Like, she's refused all requests for interviews from a lot of media sources, including us. She hasn't answered us. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about her as a person? And She was, you know, just a friendly sort of um, girl. That's That's how we sort of got talking, you know, she um, was pretty laid back and um, I think our first date, you know, was down the Gold Coast, went to the Pancake Manor and we um, we enjoyed the same sort of things. We uh, liked music, you know, we, um, it's on regular that we took Leanne to um, the Kylie Minogue concert. We, we also went and saw it in excess when, uh, in the early days, which mm-hmm. was, so we had the similar similar sort of interests, you know. We um, enjoyed going out and um, catching up with people. And when you were arrested, Melissa was supportive of you. Is that correct? I believe. Well, certainly initially, uh, initially she was, um, supportive. Yeah. And did you see the? Did you see it change when she started to pull herself away? Not, not really, because. Um, once, uh, obviously, once I was arrested, uh, she um, told Mum that she'd been advised she couldn't have any contact with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess um, I didn't really see what was going on or what was going through her mind. Or you can't. Do you know why? Without speculating, do you know why she might not have wanted to contact you or thought she couldn't contact you? Well, I guess it comes down to whether she either um, was just following legal advice or whether she uh, knew something she um, didn't want to tell me or whether she actually thought I was guilty. I, I don't know. There's, there's possibilities um, either way, I guess. Mm. There was one thing I wanted to clear up after I interviewed Graham Stafford. He said Melissa Holland pretty much cut ties with him after he was arrested. And I thought, if that was me and I was arrested for killing my girlfriend's sister. I would be trying to contact them to plead my case, but he said he didn't. So I called him up and asked him to explain it. Here's what he said. No, I, um, I've not made any attempt to uh, contact her uh, whatsoever. I figured, well, uh, if she um, wants to contact me, she can, but uh, if I attempt to contact her, then it's probably uh, going to uh, you know, be construed as... Uh, 
possibly a bit intimidation or whatever, you know, I just figured I'd let her um, let her do her own thing, you know. So I haven't tried to uh, get in touch with her at all. All right, so we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. So nearly 15 years, that's, that's a life sentence, right? You've served a life sentence. Yes. Tell me about the moment when you heard the jury say guilty. It was... Um it was pretty, um, it's, it's hard to put into words. I think when they s- sort of came back and found me guilty, the, the thing that sort of overrode that was hearing um, my um, sister screaming in the back sort of thing, you know, hmm. and all the um, upset that they were going through, you know. Um, hmm. I didn't really, I mean, I, I think I just sort of, dropped back into the seat and just, it was, yeah, couldn't believe it. Was it like a, was it almost like shock? Did you think I that think was so, going to happen? Yeah, yeah I think, um, no, I certainly didn't think I was going to be found guilty. I mean, there was things that uh, would, took place during the trial that obviously I wasn't um, real happy about that I thought well, weren't, um, that was, they was sort of, Things being said that I knew wasn't true, mm. um, but I guess that's that's the court sort of the way courts work. You know, they sort of make things or say things, and um, it's up to the jury whether they believe it or not. Mm. But you thought when you were getting interviewed and all that, you thought surely this nightmare is going to come to an end, and I'm well, not going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of you know I went down there with the full uh, intention of trying to help out. Mm. You know, and, I, you know, I've sort of over the years listened back to the things that I've said during the interviews, and I, and I shake my head myself. I, I think you know, I was just an easy sort of, not a target, so to speak, mm. but I just had so many things that I was confused about uh, because Monday for me was just a normal day. You know, I didn't go around going, "This is the time now. I'm going here." This, you know. It was just a normal day and I had no real sort of idea what was about to happen, sort mm. of thing, you know. Do you remember what the judge said to you when he sentenced you? I remember the prosecutor, David Bullock, um, arguing that uh, I should never be released and the judge's response to that was um, that he wasn't convinced of the circumstance of this gentleman and, I, and it sort of... You know, I, I don't think I thought about it at the time, but I thought it was ironic that he was calling me a gentleman and I've just been sentenced to life for murder. What happens after that? I went back to a remand centre in Brisbane um, and was there for a couple of days. Uh, that was pretty uh, pretty ordinary. I mean, the food was woeful. Mm. From there, I think I uh, got transferred to Bogger Road, which um, probably a lot of people don't. Remember Bogger Road? It was um, it was a really old. It's, it's a historic site now. A really old prison, and uh, turning up there, it was just you know in, you can't describe it. The, the mm. noise that uh, was coming from the uh, what they call the cages and things like that. You know, and, um, I um, got out and I was told to walk up to this like little area where the officer was and I can't remember exactly what I said but I used the word mate and 
was um, something you just you learn not to do because he turned around and said, I'm not your effing mate sort of thing, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And from there on you go through the whole process of delousing and being strip searched. And mm-hmm. um, I was put into a, uh, a set, well, it's sort of like a cell in the medical area sort of thing on suicide watch and... Um, was there any reason for that or was that just something they do? That's just something they do, I think. Okay. Um, so you didn't give any indications that you were... No, suicidal, no. But um, every, every hour on the hour that I was in there on a nighttime sort of thing, the uh, doors would be kicked um, and made a loud sort of noise in a, obviously an attempt to make sure that I couldn't get any sleep. Um, I think that's probably uh, in that jail there is where I got um, diagnosed with uh, PTSD. Right. Because um, I, I did have a breakdown. Okay. And that's how I got transferred to Wakefield. Okay. So beforehand you hadn't had any mental health issues, but after what happened, the conviction and going to jail and you developed post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of symptoms were presenting themselves to you? Um, I guess uh, probably like a, a nervous thing, you know, um, I couldn't sort of relax. Mm. I um, would start crying basically, you know, without sort of having anything to – sometimes I, I wouldn't know what I'm crying about, you know, mm. and it would just sort of come on. Um, obviously, even now, I think, you know, you, like you watch the news and you see really tragic events sort of thing and that affects me. I mean, obviously affects a lot of people, but, uh, yeah, it's um, just something that I've never really uh, been able to uh, get over. Okay. Do you still have PTSD now or has that been treated? Or No, I still have it. You still have it. Did you have any incidences, incidents in, in jail where where you were assaulted or anything of that nature? Yes. Yes, yeah. I, um, I was um, assaulted by probably three or four uh, people at the one time when I was at Arthur Gorry um, Remand and Reception. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been at Wakehall after Bogger Road for a time period and then for some reason I think the government decided they were closing Bogger Road down and they had to sort of do a bit of management with prisoners, so I was one of the unfortunate ones that went over to Arthur Gorry, uh, which was a mix of ex-Bogger Road and um, Wakehall prisoners. And um, there was a, ca- a, a point in uh, time where uh, they um, came up and um, I, knew, I knew something was going on because I could see people hanging around outside the door and uh, it was easy to get inside somebody's cell because you just had to use a teaspoon to go down the, the locker and you'd break into their cell just like that. Hmm. And um, one of the guys came in and he sort of got his arms up saying, no, nah, it's all good. And, and I sort of knew what was happening because there was a, um inmate in the cell next to me who copped it first and this went on for probably 20, 30 minutes. I, I actually heard him get to the intercom and call out for help, but you know, nothing came. So 
I um, yeah, I had no chance. There was you know me, little old me against four guys, and fortunately or unfortunately, I got knocked out pretty quickly. Mm. And um, then they uh, proceeded to uh, kick the living daylights out of me. Mm. Um, I actually, apparently, I, I walked to the medical centre within the prison, but I have no recollection of it. Um, I was then transferred to hospital in town and the um, dog squad officer uh, jokingly said, oh, at least we know what size shoes they wear because there was shoe prints all over my back. Mm -hmm. Even after going from the prison to the hospital, I could mm. still see them. Hmm. So I guess I'm lucky to be, still be here. Mm. That was uh, just the one, the one occasion like that? That was... Um, pretty much the only occasion. Mm. Yeah. Were you in protective custody after I that? I was. Well, yeah, um, that was technically that was protective custody right. where I was assaulted. But, yeah. yes, I was in protective custody up until um, the point that I um, went to Palin Creek on the prison farm. Mm -hmm. And for the listeners, just so they can get an idea of your stature, you know, when you're describing that scene, how tall are you and how much did you weigh back in those days? I probably weighed about 56 uh, kilo and I'm five foot two, two and a half. Yeah. And those three or four guys were bigger? Yeah. 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 The irony was one of the guys that assaulted me, um, I ran into him um, when I was um, put into Oscare, which is a halfway house in South Brisbane. Okay. And he had this beard on him and I didn't recognise who he was at first, but he obviously recognised me and he was sort of looking pretty anxious. Anyway, eventually he came over and introduced himself and I realised he was one of the guys involved in the assault and he just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to cause any trouble for him. <laughs> to make, you know. Well, and so what, you forgave him? Well... I wasn't there to make any trouble. I mean, you know, I've just walked into a halfway house knowing that uh, I'm actually technically out of prison mm. sort of thing and hoping to um, be home very shortly. So, yeah, it wasn't in my uh, interest to uh, start any, uh, you know, mm -hmm. trouble. No. Just while we're on the matter, do you know the height and weight of Leanne Holland at the time she was murdered? Uh, I believe she was around the same height as me, maybe fractionally tall. Her weight was around 42 kilo. Okay. All right, so in 2009 your conviction was quashed, is that right? That's correct. Mm. So just for people who aren't aware of legal matters, where does that leave you now? Well, it, it's just, I'm just like you. I have no mm -hmm. record. Okay. Um, you go search uh, on the um, files and there's just, there is nothing. Mm. Okay. You're aware the DPPs have said they won't retry you? I am, yes. So with that in mind and with the fact that you've done your life sentence, you could walk away, but you're still maintaining, you're still protesting out there saying that you're innocent and you want your story heard. What drives you to do that and not just be like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here? I, I guess um, 
some people might say I'm I'm stubborn. I, I I just don't want. You know, I mean, I'm 56 now. You know, I don't know how long I'm going to be around for, but I don't want my um, name sort of uh, left with a question mark long after I'm gone mm. for the sake of my, you know, my family sort of, mm. you know, it's it's not fair. And let's, you know, not forget that this is more so about Leanne as well as mm. myself because they they seem happy to just accept that it's now what they call an unsolved murder. And mm. Do you ever have moments where you think, oh, I just can't be bothered anymore and I don't want to have to deal with this? I've... I do. Mm. I do. Um, you know, I mean, I've got a, you know, I'm, I'm happy in my job. I'm happy in my relationships. Um, we get on, you know, we, we have a great time sort of mm. thing. Um, so there is times where you think, oh, you know, really? Mm. It, it's just become so consuming of my mm. life that uh, it is hard to sort of go through it all again, you know, go back through all the paperwork or whatever and trying to find stuff. I mean, I'm still, all these years later, finding things out that I didn't realise back then, you know. Mm. Mm. And it's... All right, so on, do you realise that uh, by doing this, you know, some people might, I don't know, take your words the wrong way or this might come back and bite you in the ass? all these interviews and all that stuff, does that ever cross your mind? Well, not really, no. I um, I, I think it's uh, you know, a good thing that uh, there's people still interested in trying mm. to get to the bottom of it. So according to the police review, um, they were happy with what they had done. We haven't read the review, but we've heard little snippets on, on the media. Um, they were happy with their case against you. How does that make you feel and does that raise any questions for yourself or...? I guess the only question I have is why it um, went from being a a promised transparent review to uh, now a sort of like Mm. not to be seen by anyone at at any cost sort of thing. Um, They didn't... You've got to remember back then when Bob Atkinson was um, the commissioner, he didn't really want the uh, review to take place and it was only through media pressure that uh, he eventually gave into that and and all these years later now we are in the situation where we can't even see it and does it concern you at all that that they say they are happy with the fact that they charged you and they think they had the right person does that concern you at all or do you just think no 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 okay so why were you both at home on the Monday that Leanne Holland was murdered? I was on a roster day off. Okay. And I think uh, Leanne was on school holidays. I think they just started. Mm-hmm. And this is September... 1991. Mm-hmm. Tell me your recollections of that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I sort of... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
look back over it now and, and, and think a lot of the things that I did was just so sort of meaningless that I, that's probably why I don't recall exactly when I did them or um, in what order sort of thing, but uh, I know that um, I, re I recall Leanne saying something about wanting to dye her hair or sort of streak her hair or whatever, because I had streaked hair at the time, you know, just like highlights, whatever they call them. Mm -hmm. And it was just a casual conversation. I mentioned that uh, there was still some left in my kit, if it was all right, with uh, her sister, she could, um, you know, have that. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, um, at some point, I think it was around quarter past nine, half past nine, she said she was going down the shop, so I was in the bedroom. And I said, okay. And that was the last time I saw her. Okay. So when you were talking about the hair dye, where did that conversation take place? That was probably in the hallway, I think, or lounge room. Mm -hmm. um, and the kit was um, in the bedroom at hand sort of thing, so I just sort of showed it to her and I think she took it into the lounge room, whatever, and um, that, was last I, that was the last I saw of her. I think it was on the... Um, Dining table, something. Mm -hmm. So she said she was going to the shops at about 9.15 or 9.30. Yeah. Did she say what shop? No. No. And what happened after that? Um, well, I, I basically just went back to, I think I'd done a few dishes. Um, I'd been listening to a bit of music. I think I'd been recording a bit of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably um, messed about with the car because, like I say, I was always sort of messing about with the car, doing different things, you know. I, um, I knew I'd, at some point during the day I had to uh, change the shock absorbers. I bought new shock absorbers for it. Um, there was a number of phone calls. I think uh, Robbie mate who we'd been down the Gold Coast with that weekend rang up because uh, he was also on a rostered day off. And Another co-worker? A co-worker, yeah. Robbie? Nined off. So you, you guys exchanged a couple of phone calls? Well, he, he rang up. He was um, wanting to know if I wanted to go over and um, have a few more beers sort of thing. And mm. you know, I think we probably, if I'd gone over, we'd have ended up down the uh, Kenmore Tavern just having a few drinks and playing pool. Mm. And because they lived over at... Um, Pinjarra Hills over the other side of the river, it uh, would have taken quite a uh, sort of like chunk out of the day sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and it's things I wanted to uh, do, you know. I, uh, like I say, I had work to do on the car. Mm -hmm. So I said no, it's all right. Um, what did you do the night before, the Sunday night? The Sunday night, I think um, we were over at... Um, Robert, uh, Bob and Mandy's, because they lived with her parents. And I think we'd um, watched the grand finals at Penrith, Canberra in 91. That was after getting back from the Gold Coast. Um, That's right, yeah. So um, we probably uh, would have just, by the time we got back, we probably just would have unpacked and, uh, you know, had dinner or something, or had something to eat, 
well, unless I can't remember, we may have had dinner at uh, Bob and Mandy's, but um, yeah, we wouldn't have gone out or done anything. We'd have just gone to bed. And that was you and Melissa? Yeah. And when you got home, do you remember if Leanne was home that night, Sunday night? I, I would assume so, but I couldn't, um, couldn't say I have a specific recollection mm. of her being home. Where was her bedroom in relation to your, your bedroom? Did she sleep in a bedroom upstairs? She, um, she slept in... Her bedroom was next to uh, ours, opposite the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And she did have a, uh, a bed in there, but it was consisted basically of a foam mattress. So often um, she'd take the foam mattress downstairs and she would um, stay downstairs with the father in the underneath the house sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally... She would even just fall asleep in the big, like they had a big basket mm-hmm. cane chair in the lounge room, and she'd fall asleep in that watching TV because she had a TV in there as well. How long did you live there with Leanne for? It was only um, a few months. Like three, four? Probably four months, yeah. So we've covered till 9.30 and you did some dishes. Um, you're listening to music. Uh, what, what time... Do you think you went to work on your car? I, um, I sort of think that um, it was around just ten o'clock, somewhere just after ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd taken it out round the back, um, and there was a big board pine sort of chipboard thing at the side of the house. So I put that down so I could lay on that rather than on the grass. I um, remember that next door neighbour, she was hanging washing out because you could see directly, it was just like a little wire fence mm-hmm. separating. Um, so she could see uh, me working on the car and I was, you know, said day and whatnot. They're Vietnamese, so they sort of spoke broken English, but always seemed mm. friendly enough. Um, so they vouched for you working on your car? They could vouch for well, you? Well, they, they were, yeah, they were there all day, but... Um, mm-hmm you um, probably realise that the police claimed they weren't there at all. They were at a funeral all day. Yeah. And that probably, you know, that's uh, a whole other matter, I guess, you know, because they were um, planting a pawpaw tree later in the morning sort of thing and they were pretty much in the garden for uh, most of the, uh, well, large sections of the day sort Mm. of thing. How long do you think you took to replace the shock absorbers? It uh, wouldn't have been that long. I uh, I think I only ended up, I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> it's that long ago, but I think I only ended up replacing um, one of them. Hmm. I, I can't, yeah, I'd have to, you know, look back through it all, but um, I'd had it up on the jack and uh, as I was trying to repl- um, wiggle the one that I got in there, it sort of slid off the jack and caught my elbow inside the guard and just sort of gave me a dead arm, mm. you know, which um, sort of was just a bit painful. Uh, anyway, um, I was probably only working on the car, say, half an hour, 40 minutes, if mm. that. So that might put you to 10.30 or 10.45? ish what happened after that 
Um, what do you recall? I know um, <clears throat> sometime after uh, 11, I uh, went down to um, Big Rooster to get uh, get a, a snack pack, whatever they call them. Red Rooster? Well, it's Red Rooster yeah. now. Back, was it back Big then, Rooster it back, back then? then? It was Big Rooster, yeah. Oh. Same thing. Um, okay. Um, uh, I'm not sure what else I did sort of thing. I, I mean, I'd probably have to go back through everything and mm. remind myself what I did. I know I um, at some point I went over to uh, Arthur's, Jack's dad, to see how he was going. Um, and we, Melissa and I had lived with him for quite a while and obviously being <clears throat> a close friend sort of thing, I'd often call in on him mm. and uh, see how he was going sort of thing. And was Jackie home at that time? She um, was doing his shopping. Because okay. um, uh, Arthur just didn't go out very far, mm. you know. He was uh, a pensioner sort of thing. Mm. And so you didn't see Jackie? I did. She did. Um, she dropped his shopping in while I was there. Mm. Um, it was just basically bring the shopping in. Hi, Gray, how you going? And she had the kids in the car, so she, uh, she left. Mm. But, uh, yeah, she did see me on the day, yeah. Okay. Did you wash your car or anything like that? I did. I um, took the car up to a Red Bank Plains car wash. And it's one of those little buy a ticket sort of thing. So I walked in and bought a ticket, came out, put it, put the number in the thing, and it was just one of those quick sort of roller washes. Um, and then uh, went went back. I think. Um, I'm trying to think what time Melissa rang. She rang during the day to uh, make sure I hadn't forgotten to get uh, dog meat for the uh, for the dog. And I'd gone down to Franklin's to um, pick up some dog meat. And I think I got orange juice as well. That would have been possibly uh, two o'clock. That would have been before the car wash, I think, because the car wash ticket um, had um, two fifty nine. Okay. So it was Arthur Powers and then the car wash? Yeah, Arthur yeah. Powers was uh, around lunchtime. So okay. Yeah. After the Red Rooster or Big Rooster? Yeah. yeah. Did you take the Big Rooster there to eat it or did you eat it? I think I did. Yeah. yeah, I think I did. Yeah. And the car wash, was that um, just the outside or did you vacuum the inside as well or clean no, the inside? No. Just just a, a wash on the outside sort of thing. Yeah. And that, is that something that you did regularly? Yeah, I was pretty um, pretty um, OCD mm. with the car sort of thing, you know. It was my pride and joy. Mm. I think that's um, pretty well known. Um, I was uh, always either cleaning it or messing around with it sort of mm. thing, you know. It was the sort of vehicle that, you know, people would look at. And might not necessarily be their thing, but, you know, it'd sort of stand out. Did you murder Leanne Holland? No. No, I didn't. Were you involved in any way? No. Did you accidentally kill her? No. Were you present when she was killed or abducted? No. Do you know who killed Leanne Holland? No. Did you ever help her streak her hair? No. No. No, I, um, when I uh, got mine done, uh, Jack's sister used to do it for me, and um, I basically... You know, take a bottle of tea Maria around 
and we'd have a few drinks while she was doing it. That's probably, other than knowing that she would pull my hair through the skull cap, that was probably my total knowledge of how to uh, streak hair. I'm not a hairdresser. I've got mm. no idea. Okay. I wouldn't attempt to, certainly wouldn't offer to do somebody's hair because I hadn't got a clue what was involved. Mm-hmm. Because the prosecution case, was that suggesting or were they alleging that you were in the bathroom alone with Leanne? There was a... Yeah, that's, that's what they suggested. Uh, mm. But it uh, didn't happen. Hmm. To my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think Leanne um, accessed that. You know, as far as I know, she put it on the uh, table and that's where it stayed. Hmm. So if she's somehow used it after I've gone out sort of thing, then it's news to me. Hmm. Was your car ever at the body dump site? No. Was blood found on any of those shoes? No. No blood? No. Was blood found on the clothes you were wearing that Monday? No. The clothes that were seized? No. They um, pretty much uh, seized all uh, my clothes. Um, the clothes that I was wearing on the day were in the wash basket. Mm-hmm. So they'd taken those and they'd taken all the bedding. Uh, this is um, the reason why from... Wednesday onwards, I believe, um, yeah, it was Wednesday, that I had uh, to find um, somewhere else to sleep because the bedding was all gone. Melissa uh, also went over to her grandmother's across the road and I moved in back in with Arthur. Oh, okay. Is that because the police came and took? Yeah, well, there was just no bedding. There was no, um, I had no clothes there either. Mm. Yep. So your drive to Arthur Power's place on the Wednesday morning was problematic for you, wasn't it? It was, yes. Mm. And can you describe that? Well, obviously um, the suggestion um, was that uh, I'd gone up to the the dump site, which technically is in the same direction, um, although I think you'll find that um, it was... um, some dis- uh, not a lot of distance, but I think it is some distance further than if you were going to say Arthur Powers, because obviously you don't go all the way up past the car wash. Um, you actually um, go down Kruger Parade, but uh, they made um, the suggestion that I'd actually uh, been up to the dump site as opposed to uh, trying to call in on Arthur Power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think. From um, memory, we didn't know at the time, but uh, Arthur was um, babysitting for uh, Jack's kids, so he actually wasn't home. Mm. So you knock on the door? Got no reply. Yeah. Mm. And did any neighbours see you or anything like that? I um, found out later that um, Arthur's next-door neighbour, Paul DeSorti, um heard me pull up and um, he actually, I think in... The second appeal, I think he must have spoken to um, my solicitor about it then, but uh, nothing really uh, came of it sort of thing. So why did you go to Arthur Bower's house? I just wanted to um, talk to somebody that was um, like a peer sort of thing, um, given what was going on. I had no um, no one else. I 
had no one else to talk to. I mean, Melissa was uh, obviously worried sick. Um, mm. Terry wasn't somebody that I really knew and I think the whole time that we lived there I spoke 12 words to him. He was not the sort of person that was a conversationalist and given the situation I feel I just needed somebody adult-like to talk to. Mm. Um, and Arthur was probably the closest person to do that. Mm. So were you on your way to work or were you meant to go to work I on Wednesday? Was, I was on my way to work. I was in my work clothes mm. and I um, just quickly uh, thought, oh, well, I'll just go up and let Arthur know the situation. Um, he's usually up at that time anyway because he gets mm. up early to watch um, different football and whatnot, mm. um, the, the um, English football. Mm. Um, as I say, I knocked on the door and there was no response, so I just went to work. Do you know what time that might have been? It was approximately quarter past. I think I set off at quarter past and I think I went back down past Alice Street, probably 25 past, around there somewhere. I'm six or? Six, three. yeah. Yeah. I was no more than like, I think, 10 minutes late for work. Mm. Okay. So what time do you, are you meant to start work? I think it was um, about half past six, something yeah. like that, yeah, right. from memory. So to get to Arthur Power's house, do you have to go on Red Bank Plains Road? Well, there are two ways. You can go up the highway sort of thing, but that's probably a longer way of doing it. The, um, the quicker way would be to just uh, duck on to um, Kruger Parade off Red Bank Plains Road and then come, you virtually come down off Kruger Parade into Collingwood Park. Um, so are you going past the no, body no, dump site? No. no. That's further, is it? That's a lot. Well, it's considerably further, yeah. Okay. You've got um, Kruger Parade on your right. You then go up past the uh, Red Bank Plains Tavern, if you keep going, um, where the car wash and the garage is situated. You then turn right and go for another couple of um, k's down to um, where the uh, intersection with, uh, I think it's Greenbank Village Road. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, still a bit of a distance away. Because obviously the police claim that, in fact, you didn't go to Arthur Power's house, but then you would have gone to the body dump site. That's correct, yeah. Okay, and did they present that to you at the, in the interview, in the interview with you? I don't recall it um, being said, but um, I, again, I'd probably have to go back through all the interviews and um, see what was made of that. But uh, as I said, I was—I left in my work clothes. I was still in my work clothes. I went to turned up to work, and um, you know, I just find it all a bit laughable that uh, you can sort of, you know, go up to a body dump site in your work clothes and not get. Uh, Blood on them. Hmm. Yeah. Did they find any blood, any any of Leanne Holland's blood in the boot of your car? They uh, said they found um, a spot of um, blood on my tool bag and I think two spots on Melissa's uh, blanket. And how do you explain that? Can't. I've, you know, over the years I've sort of rattled my um, brain to consider how, the, I mean, the the tool bag particularly, you know, I mean, okay, it was in and out of the car on occasion, but um, 
the only uh, injury I can recall Leanne suffering was when she cut a foot um, and uh, came down the stairs sort of thing. But uh, I can't remember any specific uh, moment where that would have then been, okay, maybe that's how it got there. Um, the um, There was another occasion, I think, uh, when uh, we took uh, Leanne to the Rocker Stedford um, in Brisbane and her and uh, I think it was Trish put all their belongings in the back of the car. Um, you know, I think possibly that may have been how the strand of hair got in there because you know, they were doing all the hair and makeup and all that sort of stuff when they got to the Estedford. Um, but, yeah, I can't explain how that uh, came to be. Okay. Uh, did the police take clippings of your fingernails? They did. And what happened to them? I have no idea. They took, um, when I got to the uh, watch house, they took uh, fingernail clippings and uh, pubic hair and I never heard anything about it since. Not even at the trial? No. Are you a victim here? Yes. Hmm. Are you angry about what happened? I am. Hmm. What are you angry about? Um, the fact that you you spent 15 years incarcerated, um, that you've never been compensated? Like what what really gets you? I think, um, <clears throat> and initially I think it's the fact that I was uh, incarcerated for 15 years for mm. a crime I didn't commit. And you, and never have, you won't have kids now? Missed that opportunity. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, I've missed... Um, Weddings and, you know, my mm. sister got married while I was inside. Mm. Um, there's just countless things that uh, I missed out on, you know. I mean, my dad was still, um, you know, quite a healthy man back mm. uh, when I was first arrested. Mm. And I've no doubts that um, my incarceration had something to do with the way his you know, health deteriorated. Right. Um, I'm angry, I guess, just the lack of um, acknowledgement from the authorities that, uh, you know, they think they can just sort of go, we still think he's guilty, but we'll just stick him in the middle here somewhere and that's where he, where he stay, you know. Mm. Question, question mark. You this know. is your life, you've got to live every day. Mm. Mm. Where people, you know, from day to day you'll have people looking at you and thinking, Oh, that's that guy. And, you know, I mean, okay, I'm lucky in the respect I don't get a lot of or very little negative feedback, but, you know, it's it still would be nice to uh, have a full stop there. Hmm. What would you like to see happen from now on? What would you like to see happen out of all this? Uh, well, I guess it's it's – I think – Realistically, as far as um, people going to jail, you know, maybe they need something like the Criminal Cases Review Committee they have in the UK mm-hmm. uh, so that um, things like that can be um, looked at by people independent sort of thing. It's, it's hard to um, put into words. It's like, um, you know, it just happens so quickly, a roller coaster that you don't, you know, even... Things like when you're giving statements, like my original statement that I gave, 
there was so much that I didn't mention um, that, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, I probably should have thought about and I just went in there just, oh, yeah, I'll give a statement and I didn't really even read it, you know. You didn't read it to check it before you... Well, I, I perused it, you know, mm. and I thought, well, yeah, that's what you do. You just go in, you, you give a statement and I perused mm. it and they just picked holes in it towards the end of the week, you know, and mm. made a big deal of it. Mm. Do you think a coronial inquest should be held? I think um, a coronial inquest should be held, but I think it needs to go further than that. I think uh, given the uh, reluctance um, that they've had for transparency, I think uh, an inquiry of some description um, should be held. Uh, Like another review of the review? Well, I think it needs to be taken out of... um, QPS hands. Mm. I think it needs to be um, someone independent of that. Mm. I uh, I just hope that um, this podcast uh, in some way goes to uh, apply pressure in the uh, the right circles to um, force, well, basically encourage authorities to um, do the right thing by Leanne and by myself. Well, thank you, Graham Stafford, for answering these questions and being willing to come here and putting it all on the table and giving us your time. I know you, you accompanied us down to Goodna last week as well. So, yeah, thank you for doing that. And I hope we come to the, the resolution at the end of this as well. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. There are detailed maps of both crime scenes and places visited by Graham Stafford, available to see on whokilledleanholland.com. Join us next time on Who Killed Leanne Holland to hear about the various persons involved in this tragic drama. As well as talking about the central characters, we also discuss MMO, means, motive and opportunity, which are central to this case. We also cover the difficult subject of the time of Leanne's death, which is absolutely crucial to the Crown's case. At the end of the series, I will invite you to be the jury in the trial of the Crown vs Graham Stewart Stafford and cast your vote, guilty or not guilty. Regardless of your vote, you will also be invited to sign a petition addressed to the Attorney-General requesting a coronial inquest into the death of Leanne Sarah Holland. It doesn't matter if you are not a resident of Queensland nor even live in Australia. Just add your support To show the Attorney-General, an inquest is in the public interest, despite claims to the contrary by the Queensland Police Service. Thank you for listening to Who Killed Leanne Holland. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. Recording, editing and theme music by Jamie Poltz. This episode was mixed and mastered by Tom Johnson at Jampot Studios. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Who Killed Leanne Holland. You can also head to our websites to read our blogs and see pictures at www.whokilledleanneholland.com and www.610mediagroup.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. All links will be on our show notes.